Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hola, 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 amigos, amigos, players, playwrights, do-do-dets, everybody in between. This is Welcome back. I am Morgan Wright. Hey, and I guess you guys know that because I'm lure here Lear. I'm here literally with my partner in crime. Steve Murphy, but everybody calls me Murph. No, they don't. There's a lot of other stuff they call you. Well, that's true. They include my wife. You should hear some of the names she calls me. Yeah. No longer does she call you stud muffin. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard that one in a long time. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Hey, guys, well, welcome back. Hey, this is going to be a fun one. Um, for those of you who are in the know in our Patreon, you already know what episode is coming up, but we're not going to talk about that yet. You know why? Because if you're not in the know, we're going to tell you how to join Patreon in a little bit and become in the know. But in the meantime, we've got to get through our housekeeping because that's what the script says. Hey, head on over to that Apple five stars. It helps us out that and Spotify. Really helps us out, guys, a lot. We really appreciate it. Also, head on over to our website, GameOfCrimesPodcast.com. We have books. We have uh, things that our guests write that are on there, and we've got some good, good some guests coming up with some terrific books that you're going to love. We just got through recording an episode for another one of uh, Murph's pals, and uh, his story about a shooting is awesome, but his collection of stories is even better, isn't it, Murph? Oh, that book, I, you start reading it, and you can't put it down. It's just... It may have had, had to do with I knew most of the people in the book. Uh, even was partners with Chris Feistel from our Cali edition of DEA Narcos. So, uh, but it's excellent, excellent read. Yeah. Also, if you want to hear more stuff, just follow us on that thing they call the social media at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook and the Instagram. But Murph, if you want to be in the know and you want to know what's coming up, where do you got to be? Where do you got to be? I ask you, where do you got to be? You got to come on over and check us out on Patreon, Patreon slash Game of Crimes. There is so much content on there. We say this every week, but it's true. Uh, we spend more time recording content for Patreon than we do for the regular podcast. And you know how many hours we're putting out here because you're listening to us. Come over, check out our, our we have Q&A, a monthly Q&A. You can ask us anything. You can come over and do 911, what's your emergency? You can listen to our episode. You can't make this shit up because the stuff that that Morgan comes up with, you can't make this shit up. It's crazy. We scowl the bowels of the internet so you don't have to. We do a a, a police movie critique every month. Uh, We do a case of the month. It's just sometimes we just get on there. We do a, uh, um, a live stream every month now. There's a lot of stuff you can come and join us with. So come and check us out. Yeah, and you're going to want to do case of the month. We uh, Murph and I talk about this one of our more serious discussions we've had about the Parkland shooter, the piece of shit we will not give his name, uh, and the fact that the jury came back and did not recommend uh, death. Uh, it was nine to three for death, but it has to be unanimous. So he got life instead. So we're, we're going to talk about that. But anyway, we'll save that for later. So make sure you do that. Also head on over to paypal.com. Oh, by the way, Steve, where you can find us is patreon.com slash game of crimes. We almost got past our Patreon thing without telling people where to find us. That's patreon.com slash game of crimes. One more time, patreon.com slash 
Game of Crimes. And you can also just use our email. Head on over to paypal.com, gameofcrimespodcast at gmail.com, or paypal.me slash gameofcrimes. Whatever it makes it easier for you to support the show, uh, you know, and help us bring you more exciting content. Now, before we get into the show, we got to tell you a couple things. First of all, you got to go join our fan group. Just head on over at Game of Crimes. Just type that into Facebook. You're going to find it Game of Crimes Fans. The uh, Mafia Queen, Sandy Salvato, will determine if you are worthy of uh, admission. All you have to do is just even get close, answer a couple questions, head on over there, just a couple easy questions. So you got to do that. You have to do that so we can give you the disclaimer, which is the disclaimer is this is a show about crime. We talk about bad people doing bad things and bad people doing bad things to good people. Steve, we take the story seriously, but we never, never take ourselves serious. And how do we prove we don't take ourselves serious? Listen to our show. You'll find out. Yeah, and one of the things we other do, uh, we talk about things that may happen in small towns. So guess what time it is, Murph? It's time for Small Small Town town Police police Blotter. Hey, and this first story comes to us from Steve, not Stephen King. Um, And uh, we've we've got some Steves on here. There's a Stephen, not Seagal Siegel, but this is Steve, not Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Send us a story here, Steve. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things I heard of... uh, being stolen, but I've never heard of this being stolen before. Police Uh said two men were arrested after they were caught stealing cooking oil from a business in Colorado. Officers were dispatched around 8.45 a.m. for a report that two men were stealing cooking oil from the back of the building, according to the Pocono Township Police Department. Now, we have to go check the interwebs and find out. Let's do this in real time. Hey, Siri, what is the population of Pocono Township, Colorado? 10,931. Salute. There we go. Police said the suspects identified as uh, somebody named Roe and Roe. <laughs> Roe and Roe. Both of Flushing, New they, York. There you go, they, Flushing. They both have a boat. That's Row, Row your boat. Row, Row, Row your boat. Flush it down the stream. <laughs> uh, fled the scene in a white Chevy truck with a large metal tank and a pump on the back. The truck was spotted attempting to get on interstate. They stopped them. They arrested them. They were taken and charged with theft by unlawful taking of movable property, which apparently cooking oil is movable. Now, you may ask, (laughs) why is this a big deal? Because apparently this is a case of one of many across the nation. More than 100 gallons of cooking oil was stolen from a restaurant in Rhode Island. Why would you steal that? Because here's the here's we're going to learn something. Um, They said. The restaurant grease is often bought for a price within a range of 30 cents to $1. It is produced, but he said the real value comes from what you can turn it into. You can now turn it into bio-domestic or domestic biofuel. And when you see what the prices of those are things, man, you can get up to $4 a gallon for stuff that is bought for 30 cents to $1 a gallon. What, what do you use that kind of fuel for? Uh, to, to be economically friendly and fuel uh, bio domestic biofuel, uh, so biodiesel, I guess biofuels. Really? I, if if you want your car, if you want to lubricate your car up, I guess you put cooking oil in it. I, we don't suggest you do that directly, but. Uh, <laughs> so if you stole a hundred gallons and you got four dollars a gallon for it, that's four hundred dollars, right? Steve, so you're you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty sharp, man. Yeah. I I've got my socks on too. I didn't even have to take them off. <laughs> but uh, you'd go to jail for four hundred dollars. $400 and all that work to get 100 gallons of cooking oil. All right. <laughs> Idiots. All right. Well, hey, Steve, let's let's this one's a shorter story, but uh, more impactful because mm-hmm. we've all had this happen to us at probably one time or another. A woman 
uh, along the uh, block of 37th Avenue reported a dispute with her neighbor, who is also her boyfriend, because he was refusing to bring her a casserole. Well, you're hungry, you know. You get hangry. You get hangry, that means you get angry, and then somebody's going to, i got to call. He didn't bring me a casserole. So what'd she do to it? Doesn't say. The story just says she just wanted to... That's my point. Why would you call the police? Well, let me, speaking of the police. That's like Steve, going to McDonald's you know, and you don't get your McNuggets. Yeah, we had a story about that on our 911 calls, remember? <laughs> I know it. <laughs> so, Steve, um, speaking of uh, the police, the police, you know, they like to help the community. One of those things is outreach and education. So the Maysville, North Carolina Police Department, population 9010. Salute. They decided, hey, look, we're going to have a report form. And they sent it out. Attention, Maysville drug dealers. Is your drug dealing competition costing you money? We offer a free service to help eliminate your drug competition. <laughs> Report your competition to us. So here are the things. My drug dealing competition is fill in the blank. My drug dealing competition lives at fill in the blank. My drug dealing competition's phone is fill in the blank. My drug dealing competition's vehicle is fill in the blank. Other means of contact. My drug dealing competition sells during the hours of fill in the blank. And my drug dealing competition sells the type of drugs, fill in the blank. So mail or drop off your drug dealer's information or call, uh, you know, the number on your screen. <laughs> Give your name and tell them who you're reporting. The only thing missing on that at the bottom is if if you'd like to provide additional information, where can we contact you? Yeah, where can we contact you? Yes. <laughs> well, hey, you know put, hey let's, let's wait and see if there's anybody stupid enough to fill that out. Let's say, hey, guys, be. give us your name and address and phone number, and we'll enter you into our monthly drawing uh, for a search warrant. Yeah, a search warrant free of charge. <laughs> I like that. Uh, you, but you know what I like, Steve? What? I like our next guest coming up. That's oh, what yeah. I like. Yeah, good friend. This is a guy that uh, Javier and I got to meet about five years ago, five or six years ago. At the, you, you heard us talk on other shows about the Southern California Gang Conference. That's something that we support. Now Morgan's a supporter of it as well. Um, and the reason we support it is because all the money they raise for their conference goes to the families of slain officers during the previous year in Southern California. And so part of that was when the first time Javier and I went out to speak at that conference, we got to meet Joe Pistone. He's an honorary member of their board out there. Um, and I tell you what, man, people sat down and they ask us, you know, hey, can we ask you questions? Because they want to hear our stories. This guy, Joe Pistone, he has got stories that I could just sit there. I'm the same way. We could sit there and listen to him all freaking day. I mean, this man, six, year, six years undercover in the New York crime families, the mafia crime families, primarily the Bonanno family a little bit of the Colombo family, but just deep undercover for six years. Nobody knew where he was except for maybe one or two agents. It's unbelievable what you're getting ready to hear. I can't believe he put himself through all this. Well, Murph, you know, people wondered what you did for a job, you know, for six years too, but, uh, well, don't that's, that's not something I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but the difference is, uh, they did. Well, and guess what? You disappeared for a while. They made a movie about you in a series. They made a movie about Joe, um, and this is the cool part. This is the guy. I mean, um, Johnny Depp plays him in the movie Donnie Brasco, mm -hmm. but th th the the movie does not do the story justice. Right. Absolutely. And, and it, this guy to this day, he's still concerned about his safety. He thought we recorded things, both uh, audio and video, 
and we don't. We just record things on audio, but we can see each other on video to make the to enhance the recording experience. And he showed up still ball cap, dark glasses, mm-hmm. you know, um, kind of that witness protection look. You know, he's he's a friend of mine, and I still to this day I know his wife Maggie. I know one of his three kids, and, but you know, I don't know where he lives, and I won't ask him. We won't ask because if we don't know, we can't tell and inadvertently let it slip. True. True. So, although it's a place that has a room with a light and a window <laughs> and uh, a, a computer and a camera, that narrows it down, doesn't it, Murph? I mean, there was nothing on the walls behind him to identify anything associated with him. As, I mean, you can tell the man has done this before. Yeah. And look, and we're not making light of it. It's just the fact that you think about this after all these years and the damage he did to these families and the convictions that it resulted in. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It was the damage it did to him and his family and his oh, relationships yeah. that he has spent years now working on and repairing. But you know what? It was one of those things. Uh, maybe, as you guys know, sometimes maybe it's a distorted sense of uh, uh, a priority. But man, when you get into this job and you realize the damage these people do, it's if not me, then who? If I don't do this investigation, if I don't get to these guys, then who? Right. You know, and and as risky as it is to Joe and the, and the, the work that he did, his family suffered. And we talk about that in his interview. So you'll hear it. We don't want to waste your time here. We want to get right to his interview, but man, you're in for a treat. I promise you. Yeah. So Murph, if they're in for a treat, the only way to treat them to the upcoming treat. And so they feel treated is for me to ask you the treat, (laughs) the one treat question of all time, right? Are you ready to play the biggest, baddest, most dangerous and Donnie Brasco game of all the game of crimes? Absolutely. And everybody, this truly is one to get in, sit down, shut up and hold on. Bring on the real Donnie Brasco, Joe Pistone. Yeah, we're gonna we go, we're gonna bro. make this guy into a star, even though who played you in that movie? Who was that guy that was just God, was uh, on the Johnny, tip of my Johnny uh, Johnny he's something a, or other, Deb he's, Captain he's Jack. All, it was Captain Jack Sparrow. He's go. all over now. My God. Well, if you guys haven't figured it out yet, we have been hunting this guy down. We actually had to get the U.S. Marshals employ hunter and trackers to nail this guy down, and we finally got him. This is the guy. That one of probably one of the most infamous mob stories ever made turned into a big movie with Johnny Depp and uh, somebody we just uh, reviewed here uh, recently, uh, Steve, uh, Al Pacino. Yep. Yep. Uh, in the movie Donnie Brasco, the agent it was based on, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Joe Pistone. Welcome to the broadcast of Game of Crimes. Well, thanks for having me, fellas. I enjoy it. I mean, Steve and I go back a long way, so this isn't our first uh, get together. So, uh, but thanks for inviting me on your show. It's a hey, pleasure. Bro, I tell you what, it's a true honor to have you on here, Joe. This is, you know, people come to Javier and I. And the first time we met Joe was out in California, as a matter of fact. Javier and I were together, and and people come to us and ask us for stories, and we'll tell stories. And then we sat down with Joe. We were all at that big dinner table one night. You know, overlooking the, we were at that hotel where we did the conference. Your wife was there. The the organizers from the hotel were there. Everybody was there. And we sat at the end of the table and Joe told us stories. And from then on, when people say, hey, tell me a story. I'm like, no, no, no. Let me introduce you to Joe. He's got the freaking <laughs> stories. You're not going to believe this shit that he did. So, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I hate to be a fangirl here, Joe, but damn. I mean, you've got a life, brother. And that's what we want to talk about today. 
Yeah. We want to talk about it. Cosa Nostra, this, you know, thing of ours here, this thing called law enforcement. So, you know, everybody knows you were an FBI agent, you know, you did this, but what, give us a little bit of background on what made you want to go into law enforcement? I mean, do you have family, friends? Uh, did you lose a bet? You were drunk one night? You know, what happened to get you started on this thing? <laughs> well, I didn't lose a bet because I'm, I'm not a drinker, as Steve can attest. I mean, I, my... Uh... My drinking is a half a bottle of beer and uh, maybe one glass of wine. So, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't the drink. I don't know. I always wanted uh, I always wanted to be a cop. Maybe because growing up in Patterson, New Jersey, uh, you know, back then in the day, the cops were your friends. Uh, they walked the beat, so they knew you. You knew the cop. They know you, and they were all great guys. You know, uh, if you. If you were doing something out of line, they'd give you a kick in the ass and send you home, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so I, that's what I, I always wanted to do that. Uh, I was a senior in college and I took the police exam and uh, uh, I made it. I got appointed. Uh, <clears throat> but then I found out I had to drop out of college and go to the police academy. So uh, I was in my last year. I didn't want to drop out. So I, uh, I turned down the appointment. Which, which uh, police agency? <clears throat> it was at uh, the Passaic County Park Police in uh, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And where were you in college at? Pardon? Where were you in college at? Where did you go to college? <laughs> so uh, I, uh, <clears throat> I graduated school. And I applied to Naval Intelligence, and uh, while I was uh, getting my background checked out and everything, I uh, I taught school for a year, and uh, then I got appointed uh, to the Office of Naval Intelligence. I worked there. Uh, I worked out of Philadelphia uh, and uh, got recruited by the FBI. Actually, I had uh, applied uh, for DEA and the FBI. But back then this dates me a little bit. DEA was, a the Bureau of uh, Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. Yeah. And, uh, I had applied for both and, uh, I got called first by the FBI. So, uh, I went into the, let's rewind for just a second. So where did you go to college at though? That you said during your senior year, where were you oh, going to college at? I was going to uh, William Patterson university. And that's so, but you applied for the police and the office of Naval intelligence or how did that work out? No, no. I applied for the uh, police department when I was a, a senior in college. And, uh, like I say, I, 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 I made, I passed the, uh, the physical, the written, whatever. But you didn't want to drop out of college. I didn't want to drop work, out of right? college. Yeah, yeah. So what'd you get your degree in? Uh, my degree was in uh, history, social studies, history, yeah. All right. Oh. Well, that's going to serve you well later because there's a lot of history in what we're going to talk about. But from there, <laughs> then you went to apply for the Navy, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. So what made you apply for the Navy? Well, I wanted to, I, I actually, I, I went to apply to the FBI, but I didn't have any work experience. You know, back then you needed three years work experience. And uh, I ha only had the year out of college. So uh, I applied for, uh, you know, I went to different uh, federal agencies and uh, Department of Defense uh, uh, agencies. And 
I put in my application and uh, I got called by Naval Intelligence. So yeah. how long were you with, so uh, obviously with your degree then, you came in as a uh, ensign then? Yeah, we, it, it was uh, the, the uh, uh, it, it actually was a civilian, but it, but the uh, the grade would have been an ensign uh, as far as, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the rank. Uh, and uh, it was enjoyable work. And, you know, you, you worked a lot with uh, with other federal agencies. Actually, I worked with uh, the FBI and, and uh, Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs back then. So. So uh, this was during the Cold War, too, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So did you get involved in some uh, any neat stuff uh, working with the Navy that you can talk about, like jump out of an airplane, attack a submarine? What'd you do? Go to Russia and talk with the the Kremlin? No, I went I went to Russia later with the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, I bet you didn't have a tail over there, did you? Nobody's oh, following you. Oh my god, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's how much that's how much the FBI thought of me. They sent me to Russia twice and Siberia once. So, oh, and you still came back. Yeah, I came back. <laughs> Couldn't like get out of there penny. fast enough. Yeah. So how long did you spend in the Navy then? Uh, th- almost three years. Yeah. So during that time, what were a couple of like the fun things that you got to do uh, considering your work? Well, back then we were uh, working closely with the FBI, uh, plus all crimes on a on a uh, government reservation. I was working out of Philadelphia, the Philadelphia Naval Base. That's where I was assigned to. And uh, you worked espionage cases, uh, worked criminal cases, uh, it, uh, a variety of, uh, of uh, activities, anything that, you know, that, that was committed on, the, on federal property uh, that had to do with the... Uh, with so the you were, you were more of an investigator then, than an, like an intelligence analyst? Yeah, yeah, basically you're 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 designated as a special agent. That's what you're designated as, yeah. And so you were the original NCIS. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> See, you could have been Mark you could have been Mark Harmon instead of Donnie Brasco. <laughs> yeah, the only thing <clears throat> I get a kick out of it. I I don't watch too much uh uh American television when it comes to police shows and uh uh, but I watched that show one time, and they're overseas in shootouts, and I'm thinking, man, I never knew that that you know, that to happen, you know. <laughs> well, if they overseas. portrayed it like it really was, it'd be doing a lot of paperwork and filling out forms and uh, right? doing something. Nobody's going to watch a show for that. Yeah, part exactly. But you, know, Joe, you you have a lot more experience than Javier and I with Hollywood. And I know you know this. Hollywood never lets the truth get in the way of a good story, do they? Oh, are you kidding? Never, <laughs> never. My God. Yeah. I mean. Uh, so, so did you get to the point to where maybe being in the Navy was more, I mean, did you just do the three years so you could get into the FBI? Um, or did you have a choice to say, hey, I really like doing this Navy stuff? Uh, you know, what was your decision after you got that three years of experience in, and now you're eligible to apply for the Bureau? Well, I had done so much work with the FBI and, and again with the Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs. And the FBI put a the the agents I was working with in Philly put a big push on on uh, to recruit me. Uh, so that's you know, like I say, I took the test for both. Uh, I never thought I'd make the FBI. I never thought I'd make uh, DEA either. You know, but. Uh, 
I took the first one that came along, and the FBI was the first one that came along. So what year did you join the FBI? Joined the FBI in 69. Uh, July the 7th, 1969 was my EOD. Now, were you Man. were you married at that time? Yes, I was. I was married, uh, and I actually had three little, three little, uh, three little ones. Yeah. Wow. And I've been fortunate enough to meet the the boss of the Pistone family, <laughs> and uh, and one of your daughters who I've seen her yeah, a couple you, times out in California. You met uh, Noreen, the one that uh, yep. she's a veterinarian, and she recently, the last couple of years, retired from uh, the military. Yeah. Can you tell us what she did in the military? She was a veterinarian. Um, she went to uh, veterinarian school, became a vet, and uh, she calls me one day and she says, uh, Dad, what do you think about uh, joining the Army? I said, I don't think it's a bad idea. So she joined the Army and spent 21 years uh, in the Army, got out as, as a colonel. Nice. Now, was a lot of her work from that side, was she working then maybe with, um, was she just doing what we might think a traditional vet would do, or was she really more focused on um, the, the operators, the special forces, the people with their, uh, like the canines or the other types yeah. of things? She did a lot of work with uh, special forces animals, the uh, the dogs. Uh, that's one of the, the main things that they do is they take care of those animals. Uh and plus, they have other duties. Uh, the uh, actually, the the, uh, the army is the only the only branch that has a vet corps, so they take care of all the uh, all the branches regarding. Uh, and they do. Uh, it's it's crazy because they they also do food inspections. Uh, the veterinarian corps, but most of their stuff is uh, is dealing with military the military dogs. And also on the on certain bases, uh, they take care of the uh, the military personnel, their personal animals. You know, they have a clinic on base that they take care of the animals of the uh, the uh, military personnel. Well, you know, if they're doing if the vets are doing the food inspection, kind of makes you wonder what you're eating in the army, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> what do you say about that, Morgan? <laughs> I was going to say, don't worry. Everything tastes like chicken in the army. You just put ketchup on it and just eat away, man. <laughs> Close your eyes. Pretend it's, don't worry about what's in there. Well, uh, that, there that's, go. that's cool. So, uh, but you made the decision. So for you, what was the weighing factor? Was it simply because that's what you wanted to be was an FBI agent? I just wanted to be, yeah, I wanted to be in law enforcement. And, uh, the more I worked with the bureau, the more I wanted to become an agent, uh, you know, and that's that's the way it went, you know. Like I said, I was fortunate enough to uh, to pass the exam, which I don't know that I'd be able to pass it today. To be honest with you, but well, uh, you know, we're all got a little older. We probably wouldn't pass the physical test. Don't worry about the written test. It's just like I got to hey, run and do one. Can I pay somebody to do that for me? Hey, let me tell you something. I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, I re after seventeen years, I resigned from the FBI. Stayed out for a couple of years, and uh, at fifty-two, they sent. I, I went back and had to go through twenty-two weeks of new agents training. So you got to be kidding me! No, no. Oh my what goodness! Year, what they were punishing that? you. That's what it was. It was. It was all. How dare you resign and then come back? You know, because they don't. 
it's very seldom that they take retreads. Uh, once you're out, you know, once you resign, they don't, uh, they don't look favorably about taking you back. Uh, well, we're going to get into that then. Let's, let's, let's hold on to that. Cause, um, I, I see you Murphy, you want to ask, but I know it's coming. <laughs> It's come. It's but we got you know. Hey, we're telling a story here, so let's not jump to the uh, end of the movie yet. So, uh, right. but you came on in 1969. The reason I said that's kind of at the height of the Cold War. So when you initially came on to the bureau, did you think you were going to be doing things like you had done in the Navy, like um, counterintelligence, you know, and espionage cases and stuff? Or what did you end up doing when you joined uh, uh, the FBI? And you said you came on duty July 69. Was Philly your first uh, 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 post? No, I. Uh... Excuse me. I actually uh, uh, came on duty in Philly, and my first office was uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And uh, back at that time, uh, Jacksonville, Florida was like the Wild West. Uh, and for, of, our, for our players who are listening too, the other thing about Jacksonville, man, big naval presence in Jacksonville too. So you yeah, kind exactly. of were best of both worlds for you. Yeah, they have the they have the base, then they have the. Uh, uh, they have the port for the uh, ships, and then they have a big uh, air air base. Uh, but I, what, once I got into the bureau, I worked all criminal all criminal matters. I never worked any intelligent matters uh, once I got into the bureau. Uh, and my first uh, assignment, I worked uh, bank robberies, fugitives, uh, all all criminal. So did you like doing that or would you prefer to do the, some of the counterintelligence espionage stuff? No, actually I like to do, I, I enjoyed doing the criminal work. I enjoyed, uh, uh, chasing people as far as uh, fugitive work, uh, doing bank, you know, bank robberies. I enjoyed that, that type of work later on though. Uh, I, uh, I kind of wish that I would, <laughs> have gotten into more of the counterintelligence. Uh, but that was, you know, after I had 20 years in, you know, but I never did. No. So here you're a guy from New Jersey down in Florida. How, how was that? Was that, uh, I mean, obviously being with the Navy, you went to go a few places, but your accent, you had to, it's a different way, you know, different way of living down in Florida versus New Jersey. Well, back then, back then it was. And, uh, being an uh, an Italian uh, fella, uh, <clears throat> I would always get. Uh, Are you an Italian? An <laughs> Italian from New York? <laughs> I say no. South, Italian. In the South, I'm an, I'm an, I, I'm an it, Italian from New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Joe, in the South, that's the only way we know how to say it. Italian. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like they're ordering dressing. I'll take some Italian dressing from us. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. uh, <clears throat> they were good people. The, you know, I mean, the the citizens were good people, very good people. But like I say, uh, Jacksonville was a uh, was pretty active as far as criminal activities. Did you see any organized uh, like the mafia family activity in Jacksonville? No, none at all. Uh, <clears throat> I saw a lot of what they called the Dixie Mafia, was you know Southern. Southern gentlemen uh, that were uh, <clears throat> involved in, you know, organized criminal activities, but not not as far as Italian mafia. No, 
Well, but before you even got down there, did you have any uh, coming up, you know, from New Jersey, obviously a lot of organized crime between New York, New Jersey back in the day, you know, the five major families. Did you have any run-ins with them growing up there or going to college or with the Navy during that time? Uh, actually, no. I mean, you know, I, I grew up in a, uh, I grew up in a neighborhood uh, where there were organized crime guys. I mean, you know, look, you you grew up in an Italian neighborhood. There's going to be organized crime guys. There's going to be mob guys. Uh, and I think that that's one thing that why I, w- I was always successful in my undercover activities is that uh, <clears throat> I never judged anybody because I knew, you know, I knew guys that were involved in the life. Uh, there were a couple uh, social clubs in the neighborhood. So, you know, you knew what they were about. And everybody in the neighborhood knew who the, you know, who the mob guys were. Uh, so I wasn't enamored with the life. Uh, and like I say, I never judged anybody because I knew these guys, you know. Uh, they're regular guys when they're, you know, interacting with, with you. Uh, it's just that you never really got to see, you know, the only illegal activities <clears throat> you got to see was the gambling and the swag, you know, uh, you need a, you need a new suit, you know, you, you go to this, you go to the social club or wherever it is and you, you grab and yourself a miraculously, suit. Miraculously, a suit would fall off the back of a truck somewhere that just happened to be your size. Or, you, you know, you needed a sweater or you needed a sport coat, you know, you knew where to go. Uh, and you knew that, you know, that it was swag, but Hey, that's the way everybody in the neighborhood operated. That's where everybody lives. So. <clears throat> but because of that, did you have any interest then in invest when you joined the bureau, you know, like say you're down in Jacksonville, did you have any interest in at that point in going into investigating organized crime or did that not, was that not on your radar at the point? No, that was not on my radar. I mean, to me, it, a crime was a crime and I didn't, it didn't matter if you were Italian, Irish, Jewish, whatever you were, uh, if you committed the crime, you were suspect. I investigated. Didn't uh, it? Didn't deter me one way or another. So, how long did you spend in Jacksonville? <clears throat> I spent a little over a year in Jacksonville, and uh, then I got transferred to Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Why'd you and, get transferred? I mean, a year. I mean, that's not a long time, right? You're just still getting your feet wet. Well, back then, that's the way the bureau operated. You were in your first office maybe 14, 15, 16 months, and then you got transferred somewhere else. That was back then. Uh, they don't do that anymore, but uh, you're only in your 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 first office less than two years. Man, so you're in the 70s in Alexandria, Virginia. I got to tell you, I moved out here to Virginia in 2000. It's changed in the last 22 years. I, guarantee, I, I, I would just be love to see what it was like back in the day, because you never would have heard of Loudoun County or you know, Ashburn, these, these were just little farming communities out here. There was no life past maybe Tyson's none, corner. None at all. I lived out in, uh, I first lived in, in, uh, Alexandria. And then I moved out to, uh, uh it was a new, new development they were building, uh, in Burke, Burke, Virginia. <clears throat> and, you know, if you were going out loud in County, you it's like you were going to, you know, another part of the country back then. Going to West Virginia. You know? 
<laughs> Except we had more tea. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, in Virginia, I worked, there was a lot, a lot of bank robberies because you had a lot of crossover between Washington, D.C. and uh, Alexandria because you're right there on the border. Mm-hmm. So you had a lot of cro- crossover with the uh, with the bad guys as far as uh, between Virginia and Washington, D.C. But Alexandria, that was the Washington field office, right? Or no, was that, it was, was, it was an RA. No, it was a it was a field office in, in its own. Yeah. It's not anymore, but it, that's it what I was, was. going to say. That doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So the Alexandria yeah. Field Office. Wow. Yeah. So what you do in so this this stint in Alexandria? How long did you spend there? I was in Alexandria until uh, let's see. I got there early seventy four, I think, and then I got transferred to New York. Yeah. So how is the family handling this constant move? I mean, you get moved to Jacksonville, then you get moved to Alexandria. You're just getting your roots down, and then now you're moving to New York. How, what's it like on the family? Well, you know, the, the kids, the, they were young at that time, so it wasn't, you know, wasn't that much of a, I don't think, a, a kick in the arse to them. Uh, I had We had family in New Jersey, so... Getting transferred to New York wasn't such a, a big deal because I knew I was going to live in, in New Jersey. And uh, I had a lot of family at the time in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. So um, now, did you ask to get transferred or were you just in that day? Were you just transferred at the pleasure of the director? Well, I had put in uh, I, I had put in for it. You know, you you, you were you, you had uh, three choices, what they called office of preference and and. uh Look, if you're in, and, and and Steve can attest to this from the from DEA, if you're in the FBI and you want to work, you go to New York. Mm. That's where you go. Yeah, uh, for us it was. Uh, of course, I didn't come on until the the late '80s, but but it was uh, New York, Miami, or LA. That was right. three yeah. big offices. You know, and back then it was you know it was uh, New York, Chicago. Detroit or LA, and I didn't want to go out to the West Coast, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you wanted, they to... probably didn't know how to say Italian correctly. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> well, like me. I didn't want to go to the West Coast either. In, in New York, you know. I yeah, I mean, I had a shot to go there. to San Diego. No, uh, that's not bad. And I didn't. I didn't take it. You know. So when you get when you put in for that, do you know what squad you're going to be on or what type of work you're going to do before you get there? Uh, normally the way it worked was, uh, you went on to the applicant squad, uh, and you worked applicants. We, we've heard that before, haven't we, Steve? And you had a, you had a, (laughs) but I was, (laughs) you know, it always good to have a godfather or a rabbi or a hook, as they say, you know? Oh yeah. And I had a, uh, uh, I, I met, uh, this New York supervisor, we had an undercover seminar at Quantico and uh, it's a supervisor from New York by the name of Guy Barato, who was an old time New Yorker. When I say old time New Yorker, I mean, you know, he grew up in New York. Uh, New York was his second office. And so he had spent time in New York. And uh, so when I told him, 
when I got my transfer, I, I called Guy and said, hey, Guy, uh, I said, man, I don't want to go to applicants. And he had enough juice to to circumvent that. So I went right to the truck hijacking squad, which drew a lot of, you know, a lot of looks from other people that got transferred and were on the, the applicant squad. Did you, were you a qualified 18 wheel truck driver? I was before I went there. Yeah. I had, uh, <clears throat> during, during college, uh, during the summers I had, uh, I had drove a, uh, 18 wheeler. Uh, so I knew, about, you know, yeah, I could drive 18 wheelers when I, uh, when I got to New York. Were some of these hijacked trucks happened to be the same ones that were supplying the uh, clothing for the social clubs? <laughs> they probably were. <laughs> <laughs> See how life comes full circle. Yeah, I, I got a suit off this truck one time. Now I'm arresting you guys. <laughs> well, I think, I think the, uh, uh, I think this, the suit that I went to, uh, my new agent's training. I think that was a suit that I had, <laughs> I had bought out of the social club before I even, before I went into naval intelligence. You know, I, I don't know about you guys. When I went through the bureau <clears throat> the first time, Quantico wasn't open. They were building Quantico, the training school. So we went to uh, our and back then training was only I think either 14 or 16 weeks, I can't remember, but it was in Washington, D.C. So you had to, you had to get an apartment. And the Bureau had, <clears throat> they gave you a list of apartment buildings that you could rent an apartment in. So you had to rent an apartment, you had to pay for it yourself, and then you went to... Uh, <clears throat> The old post office, which is now the the Trump Hotel, if you guys know D.C., the old post office, uh, and that's where we had our our classroom work. Uh, and then we'd go to Quantico uh, every so often for a week for firearms training, and we stay in the Marine barracks. Uh, so that's the way that that operated. Yeah. So you're, you're, I mean, it's you're probably losing money by taking that job. I was going to say, you, you got to pay rent. for your own place to go to training and then drive. You got to live in yeah. one area and drive to another. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we didn't, uh, I didn't take a car. You know, I, we, we, and what you did was you had to have three guys, you know, three guys would hook up and stay in, uh, stay in an apartment. You know, I think I had the couch. I slept on the couch. Um, I think we had a two bedroom apartment, so I just took the couch. Uh, and uh, you had to buy your own meals back then, too. They, you know, you weren't getting supplied any meal, you know. So you, you had to buy your breakfast, your, your, your lunch, and your, your own, and your dinner. Plus, you had to pay for an apartment. So did you have to get a job like at the 7 Eleven on the weekends? Or? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's tough. I mean, compared to the day. Yeah, standard, it was. That's, that's you know, tough. then. Once they opened the academy, then everything was, you know, was provided. You went to the academy, right, Steve? I did. I went, I did the DEA academy through the FBI academy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I can still remember the uh, smell of hoppies in the cafeteria for every meal. Oh, yeah, because it was right above the, uh, yeah, the gun right above the gun vault. Right 
<laughs> I love the smell of fresh gunpowder in the morning. <laughs> what do you say? Napalm yeah. in the morning, Robert Duvall. Well, you um, know, they say everything tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like hoppies there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right, because it was, it was right above the gun vault. Yeah. Yep. Permeates yeah. everything. So you go to New York, you start working the uh, truck squad. Uh, and obviously, I'm, I'll make an assumption here. The A lot of the hijackings uh, of the trucks, that was a lot of that was almost or all almost exclusively organized crime. Oh, all of them. Yeah. Not, nobody hijacked. The, nobody hijacked a truck in New York. Uh, if they weren't connected some way to an to a family, uh, an organized crime family. Uh, and and the hijackings were, you know, high value loads of pharmaceuticals, uh, high value food loads like coffee was was a big value load, pharmaceuticals big value load, uh, shrimp. You know, you're talking an eighteen wheeler. You pack a lot of a lot of coffee and a lot of shrimp into an eighteen wheeler. And a lot of pharmaceuticals, so everything was was controlled then by the mob, one family or another. Were these like armed hijackings or just takeovers or steal them, or you know, uh, was there a lot of violence associated with this? It wasn't much violence, but uh, uh, some of them were giveaways. In other words, the drivers were you know were involved with the mob guys, or uh, <clears throat> they'd be armed hijackings. The driver stopped at a light. The uh, the mob guy or the whoever was doing a hijacking would come up to the driver's side door, stick a gun in the guy's face, you know, take him out of the car, take his license, his driver's license, and you know, I know where you live now, you know. So when you went to interview the driver, you know. He's, you know, the guy might be five foot. He's saying, well, it was a six foot uh, Chinese guy or whatever, you know, uh, white guy, black guy. He never give you the, the correct uh, ID because he knew that they had they had uh, his driver's license. And sometimes they slip the guy some money. You know, to keep his mouth shut. So some were giveaways. And uh, some were actually armed, you know, where they where they took the truck by force. Yeah. Was there so any pitch? Go ahead, Steve. I was going to say those scenes that we saw in the movie Goodfellas where Ray Liotta and, and uh, Joe Pesci are coming up and, uh, you know, they just take the guy's truck. He goes in the restaurant and then he comes, he comes, he goes back out. His truck's gone. He comes running back in and says, oh, those black guys just took my truck. So <laughs> all that's true then, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Hey, was there any one particular family that was more responsible for uh, the truck jackings than anybody else? Well, it was uh, actually there was uh, about three or four good hijacking crews. Uh, John Gotti had a good hijacking crew. Sonny Black and, you know, Gotti Gambino. Sonny Black Napolitano had a good hijacking crew. He was a Bonanno. Uh, the Lucchese's had a good hijacking crew. Uh, yeah, these guys, I mean, that's what they did and they were good, you know, and then what they had, they, they'd have a, what's called a drop, uh, is a, a garage somewhere where they, after they, they took the truck, they'd bring, they bring the truck to the, this particular warehouse and then, you know, whatever the load was, they, 
Most of the time, the load was already sold, uh, especially the food stuff. They already had uh, supermarkets that, you know. Oh, yeah, because it's perishable. You can't hang on yeah. to that like you can close. But it sounds like then what they had, too, was a lot of inside information. I mean, they knew what truck was carrying what and where it was going to be. Yes. Yeah, they did. I mean, you know, how, how would you know? How would you know otherwise? That pharmaceuticals are coming out of such and such a place, you know. And a lot of times uh, we we would negotiate with the insurance company uh, to get the load back if, you know, uh, it it was a crazy time. I mean, they, we were probably averaging at the time six to eight hijackings a day oh, of, God you know, of high value loads. Yeah. Wow. And that's not counting. That's just counting the 18 wheelers. That's not counting the, you know, the, the little box trucks, you know, uh, that they were, that they were taken. Holy cow! Yeah. Well, you know, I bet the grocery stores that were that were buying the shrimp or whatever other foodstuffs were taken. I bet they didn't have a choice, did they? So they're having to buy stolen goods from the from the crime families, yeah, and they're, they're probably still yeah. paying extortion and protection fees. Yeah, right? but they're making out too, you know, because they're not. They're getting it for pennies on the dollar versus what <laughs> yeah, they're getting. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, from you know from the uh, real distributor producer, the real distributor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Is this, this, I mean, this obviously, this sounds like you're starting to get now uh, immersed into the organized crime families, the way they work and the things they do. Did that spark any interest at that point to say, hey, these, these are a collection of people I'd really like to go after? Or was it still more just the criminal work? It was still criminal work. <clears throat> what happened was after, after I was in New York a few months, uh, see, I had been, I had done undercover work in Jacksonville, uh, uh, infiltrated gambling dens, infiltrated. Let me guess, uh, as an Italian mobster? <laughs> no, just as an Italian thief, you know. <laughs> uh, so a a uh, a job come up out of Tampa, Florida. Uh, they had a case on a group of uh, car thieves. And uh, the way this group worked was uh you'd go to them and uh <clears throat> say I want a Mercedes Benz and you'd give them the color and all the goodies that you wanted and then they'd go out and they'd they'd hook it. Dang. And uh <clears throat> so they had a they had a big case uh, uh out of Tampa and uh, they had the ability to uh, get an FBI, well, not, an, you know, to get an undercover agent in. And uh, <clears throat> I got a call to see if I wanted to do the undercover. And I said, yeah. Uh, but the first thing I got to do, I got to know, I got to learn how to steal, steal cars. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <clears throat> the agent in Tampa had an informant who was a car thief. So I spent some time with him and he, you know, he taught me how to, how to hook different types of, of uh, cars. So, uh, I got my way into this, this group and spent a year and a half stealing, stealing cars and, uh, actually in, uh, uh, tractors with these guys. Uh, like farm tractors or tractor trailers? 
No, j- just just the cabs. Yeah. Yeah. The truck take, yeah. And those are, man, let tr- me tell you what. Being a farm boy and being a trooper and working with those things, high dollar stuff, Kenworth, Peterbilt, you yeah. know, you've got all of these things, man. They are yeah. <clears throat> oh, lots of yeah, driving one of those things. If you don't know how to drive uh, mm-hmm. a truck tractor, um they can tell right away whether or not you've got any experience driving those things. Because oh, yeah. it's not it's not like putting it into drive, go, hey, I just put this into drive and we take <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. And uh so I did that for a year and a half and uh was successful. We got a got a ton of convictions and uh uh I'll tell you though, uh <clears throat> I hooked we we hooked a Mercedes Benz one time uh around outside of Orlando and uh, the buyer was a guy in Miami so i'm going to drive the i'm going to drive it from Orlando to Miami and uh it's like 3:30 4 o'clock in the morning and i get pulled over by a by a trooper and uh I mean, you know, I don't, the only identification I have is my fake, my fake driver's license. So he says, and there were no tags on it or anything. So he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Miami. And he said, uh, how come you don't have any tags in this car? I said, well, I'm, I'm bringing it from a dealership in Orlando to a dealership in Miami. And I got to get it there because it's sold and I got to get it there by eight o'clock in the morning, you know? Uh, so he says, let me see your driver's license. So I show him my license and, uh, I said, I don't have any other paper for this car, but this is where I'm taking it. He said, okay. And he lets me go. So, uh, at, uh, one situation where, you know, I talked my way out of, you know, he checked the car. He looked in a trunk. Uh, he says, can I search the car? I said, sure, go ahead, search it. Do what do you want with it? You know, I said, I just got to get there and have this car by eight o'clock. And then he, he said, okay, drive slower. What what was your plan B is if, I mean, one thing he could have just issued a ticket and say, Hey, go on. But what if he wanted to arrest you or, you know, hook the car up and tow it? Did you have a, you know, what was your, what were your options at that point? Just stay in well, character? Yeah. Stay in character, take the arrest. And, uh, when you get your phone call, you know, you call your contact agent, which is, you know, a, a hello number. And, uh, you explain what happened. Hey, tell everybody that that's an interesting thing. It's a contact. You say it's a hello number. What do you, you know, let everybody know what you mean by that. Well, your contact agent, when you, you know, when you're working undercover, you, you, you can't you call have, the FBI office and have FBI office, you know, <laughs> undercover division. Can I help you? Yeah, you, you have a you have a, a a safe telephone number, and uh, it's uh, your contact agent is it's is the agent that is your handler or control agent. That if you have a problem, that's who you call, and you know you tell them or tell him or her what the problem is and. It's up to them to to rectify it and get get you out of it without blowing your cover. Uh, so uh, uh, every undercover has that, and like I say, uh, uh, the hello number is a number that doesn't go to a 
to an office. It goes it goes to the and your your contact agents also have fake, you know, fake ID. You know, they're not operating under their their FBI identification. And so if they got to come like bill you out, they can use a fake ID and put up cash and get you out of there and then deal with it later. Exactly. But but there's a real, I mean, go into that for just a minute. There's a real reason why you don't even want to, you want to trust other law enforcement, but we know from experience, right, is that some of these folks may be getting a little cash on the side to inform to say, hey, I just had an FBI undercover guy in here. He just got, you know, he just got his bail posted and this is who, this is the name he's using. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's why in, 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 uh, in any operations that we do, and unless we're in partners with the particular agency. Uh, we don't inform other agencies. Uh, I mean, if it's an undercover operation with DEA, uh, if it's an undercover operation with a specific police department, but if it's not, if it's an outside agency, uh, we don't we don't inform them uh, of the you know of the identity of the undercover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. I mean, it's good reasoning too. And I, th- I don't think a lot of people, I mean, we've talked to a lot of people who've worked undercover. We just had Jack Garcia on here. We talked to some other ones and, you know, there is so much thought we work, we talk with guys from ATF that worked undercover DEA. A lot of work has to go into it to backstop that. Cause all it takes is just one little enterprising person now in this day and age of the internet to do some checks. And I mean, it's easy to blow a cover in this day and age with Al Gore's amazing internet than it was, you know, back 20 years ago. Oh, definitely. I mean, th- that's that's one of the main problems uh, today with undercover is the backstopping. I mean, because of the internet, you know, back in the day, you can backstop somebody a hundred percent with the internet. Uh, you really have to work t- to uh, to build uh, an identity for somebody. Uh, but there's always going to be a hole in it because of of uh, of the Internet. Uh, there's always a hole in people's resume, too. I like the one guy that they hired. There's a big row going on. I can't think of who it was. Actually, it was a uh, Steve. You'll appreciate this, too. It's the prosecutor here in Loudoun County, the one that we did the whole episode on with the uh, mm-hmm. kids in the school. But uh, she hired a guy who was actually a convicted sex offender. But yeah. for six years, you know what was on his resume? He he was at the Department of Justice. <laughs> he was. He wasn't lying. That's true. <laughs> they, just, they couldn't just, get him. She couldn't get him for lying right on his, on his application, right? He just and what did you do at the Department number. of Justice? Yes. Well, I was, in, I was inmate six eight seven nine one. Always, always interesting. But, but and you're right too, because you know when you talk to guys that worked in the intelligence business or CIA. 20, 25 years ago, having carrying multiple passports, fake passports, was an easy thing to do. Not that you wanted too many because you got to keep your legend intact. Now, with biometrics, the way they enroll you, th- there is no way around it. You come in through a country. I know I know my eyes, my fingerprints been scanned. Um, yep, yep, you know, there's yep. there's it's very difficult. And they're doing what they call true identity now. It's like, hey, there's no more uh, like non-official cover. You don't, you're not going to get a legend. You're yeah. going to use your real name because to your point. Yeah. You've got the yeah. social media. You've got the history that it's so easy to check now. Now you've got to do a good job of keeping them under the radar so you don't associate them with, uh, you know, intelligence work. Yeah, yeah. You have to use your your true identity to get into a foreign country if you're doing undercover work, uh, and then 
once you're there, switch, you know, uh, it, it, it's a problem. Or, you know, inform customs of, of the identity of the undercover. But then, you know, everybody, everybody talks. And it, it's not intentionally, but, you know, guys are, gals and guys are sitting around having a beer. Hey, you know, uh, that's why it, 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 in my undercover, uh, the uh, Donnie Brasco one, uh, we didn't tell anybody. I mean, not even people in the New York office. The only people that knew were the supervisor, uh, the SAC, and a couple agents. Uh, yeah, because there's three forms of communication, telephone, telegraph, telecop. You start telling yeah. stories and drink and... Everything else, everything else was pulled. My records were pulled. Uh, they were pulled at headquarters. Uh, if I went into another... Uh, when I went into another town, I didn't even tell the FBI office I was there. We never even told them I was there. Well, that's a good jumping off point. Let's start laying the groundwork now because we've got a really good sense of some of the stuff you worked on. So let's talk about, um, start giving us the background of how, first of all, let's talk about the name before we even get into this. Was the name created for the operation or had you used that name previously as your UC name? I had used the name previously uh, in under undercover operations. Where'd yeah. you come what up was, with the name? Yeah, what was the order? I just liked it. Seemed yeah. like, a, you know, might have read about it somewhere. And it ends in a vowel, so it's a perfectly Italian. Yeah, yeah. And my middle name is uh, is uh, is Dominic. So, you know, Donald wasn't that far off because, you know, they call Dominic Don sometimes or Dom. So, uh, you know, usually in undercover, you, you want to take a – you don't want to change your first name, you know, because you want to answer that. But – you know, I didn't have any problem answering to uh, the Don. So, so start laying the groundwork first. When did this whole? Uh, what, how long had you been on, and what was the impetus for starting to say, "Hey, look, Joe, we want you to do this"? Well, as I said previously, you know, I was on that a year and a half uh, car theft ring. Uh, we finished that up. I get back to New York, and. Uh, my supervisor, as I said, was Guy Barato. Uh, he was the supervisor of the truck squad, hijacking truck squad. So he uh, dreamed up this idea of uh, an undercover operation uh, to try to infiltrate the uh, actually the fences that were that were dealing the the, uh, the swag and. Uh, since I hadn't been, you know, I had been out of New York for a year and a half now. Uh, he says, you want to, you know, you want to take this job on? And so I said, yeah. And as, as you mentioned previously, Morgan, is that the, a lot of, a lot of thought has to go into it. You know, you have to, uh, and we did all of this without contacts. What I mean by that is, uh, uh, I, I went out and and uh got a New York driver's license uh under Donnie Brasco's name under Donnie Brasco just like anybody else would uh because I had the you know I had the backup as far as a birth certificates and stuff that uh do you we have a criminal able... record 
I did, but the only criminal record uh, you want is uh, petty theft, stuff like that. You don't want anything too deep. Where you like do time at a place where they can check yeah, with yeah, other yeah. people. My only my only incarceration was maybe you know ten, fifteen, thirty days uh, in the locals. You know, uh, actually in uh, Arlington, Virginia, I had a record there. Did you actually uh, do any time in the jail just to backstop that, or they just put that on the record? They just put that on the record. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you uh, I mean, that would have been a great vacation, 10 days where you don't have to do anything, <laughs> three hops in a cot, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you so. don't want to put down that you did time because, you know, you can't talk about doing, you know, doing time in Attica or Lewisburg or somewhere. How are you going to discuss that? Right. You, you know, you can't do it. But, you know, 15 days, 30 days and, you know, in a local jail, what's. And they got so many people going through those jails. It's not like. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it, it, there's no way they could check. All they can do is check and say, hey, yeah, you know, uh, if you have a, you know, if you have a bent cop or, or bent fed that can check the record. Yeah. You know, he he did 15 days for uh, uh, for robbery or or, or whatever. Somebody uh, hey, but but stop right there for a second, because the other thing I've always been fascinated to everybody's tactics for doing it and how the bureau did it. What's the process of putting in those criminal records? When you talk about backstopping, you actually have to start putting in records in these things, right? Because you have to have a trusted source to do that too. So what's the process for how you guys went about putting in your criminal records into the uh, court system? You know, because somebody goes down and says, hey, give me the, give me the file on Donnie Brasco. Somebody has to put that information in there. Yeah. Well, the bureau would, uh, out of headquarters would, would, would get that get that done uh and you know there's always somebody that look and and you guys can attest to that you're always you're always working with a local that works close with you you know you got to be uh, able to trust somebody to and, get some of this you stuff can trust yeah. you know uh so he might uh he might be the arresting officer you know uh but uh, it doesn't mean that that they know about about the case. It's just that hey, you know, uh, we need to get this we we need to get this arrest record in, you know, on uh, on a Donnie Brasco. So, and that's how they would do it. Yeah. So uh, he would just write the, something up and submit it, even though he. Yeah. I mean, he obviously didn't go out and physically arrest you and toss you in jail. He would just write no, up the uh, report yeah, and submit it. Yeah, because like you say, you, you know, in the locals, so many people pass through. They don't, you know. Yeah. Nobody can remember who the hell's going through there, who went through there. So. So when um, your boss started laying this out, did you have any idea at that point about how long this was going to be? Did he tell you, "Hey, it's only like a six month operation"? Uh, did you well, give any idea about that? That's that's how undercover operations are on six month intervals. That's they're 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 uh, funded every six months. That's how they're that's how they're funded. So everything is six months, six, you know, uh, because if you're not if you're not uh, accomplishing anything, there's no sense funding it for a year, two years from the get go, you know, Uh but then, like I said, what I did was I went out and got my own, you know, driver's license, like Joe Citizen, went and rented an apartment at Joe Citizen, 
uh, I did all these things. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I I went to open a, a checking account because, you know, you have to pay your, you got to pay for your apartment. You got to pay your utilities. And <clears throat> all of that is done by, by the undercover, you know? So I, I go open. I go to open a checking account in one of the the banks in New York City, and uh, the guy asked me, "Where, where's your prior banking?" I said, "I don't have any." He said, "Well, I need to have some." I said, "Why?" He said, "You know." So he gives me a rigmarole. So I said, "Look," I said, "I just got out of jail." And he looked at me. I said, so you're going to punish me by not letting me open a bank account. I'm trying to rehabilitate myself. And you're not going to let me open a bank account because I don't have a prior prior bank account because I've been in jail. And he got all flustered. And he said, no, 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 you know, so <laughs> he let me open up a checking account. Now, did he well, do that out of uh, empathy or sympathy for you? Or did he do it because of the your name and everything he thought you might have been connected? Well, he thought because I threatened him as far as, you know, what are you doing to me? I, I, I did my time. I paid my debt to society. And now you want to punish me again? You know, uh, do I have to take this further? Because uh, <laughs> I got a guy. Yeah, are, these, so. are these scenarios that you've already worked out in your mind, or that that somebody's brought to your attention in the bureau as you're as you're learning to work undercover? Or this just thinking on your feet as you go along. Uh, I, you know, Steve. Back in the day, we didn't have any. I mean, we had guys that worked undercover, but we had no formal. There was no formal training. Uh, you know, the guys that worked undercover back in the day were street guys. You know. Uh, you know, with, with kind of the same background I had growing up in these type neighborhoods, you know, and just surviving the way you survived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you had, I mean, but you had a lot of authentic memories and things to pull on to be able to do your role because like you said, you grew up on it. You bought clothes, you got swag, you know, I mean, you walked, you saw the social club. So it's like you already had a good sense for how these things were going to work. It's not like you were just throwing you in into a Florida and you have to become some Southern Florida Dixie crat you know, running an operation. Yeah, exactly. I never, uh, <clears throat> I never tried to be any, anything else than, you know, than an Italian kid from, uh, from the North, you know, from Jersey, New York area. Uh, because look, no matter, no matter what type of level, all, you know, all these guys got BS detectors, you know what I mean? And the one thing they can do is is, is detect when you're bullshitting them. Uh, so, you know, I was always straight up about stuff. I mean, to give you an example, uh, I'm not a drinker, right? Like I said before, I can't even finish a whole bottle of beer. And I grew up in bars. I grew up, my father had bars. I grew up bartending. Uh, I, but I just don't drink. And in any of my undercover endeavors, especially with the wise guys, you know, uh, Donnie, you don't want to have another beer? 
no, I can't. I don't, I can't even finish a half a, I can't even finish a bottle of beer. I don't drink. I can't drink. And nobody cares, you know? Uh, and, and, and I found that to be a problem with undercovers, you know, young undercovers, they think they get, you know, they think they have to be out nightlife in it all the time. You know, you, you, whoever you are, that's who you are. Yep. It's funny you should mention that because one of our earlier episodes with Dominic Polifrone, um, you know, oh, with yeah, Dominic? yeah, sure. And one of the things he did was, I thought was just exactly what you're doing. He was himself, but he says, I know. I remember the one instance, Steve, remember we're interviewing him. He was, they were going back and forth with one of the captains in the police department. It's like uh, Kuklinski calls and they said, well, hurry up, call him back. He says, I ain't going to call him back. He can wait. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. I ain't running to, <laughs> no, no, you got to call him back right away. No. That's not the way this thing works. And so it's having that sense of being a true, you know, authentic person like you were talking about. Hey, look, if you don't drink, you don't drink. I think they respect that more than you drinking and then vomiting all over the dinner yeah. table. No, you're exactly right. And and it's, it, you know, I mentioned young undercovers, but but a lot of administrators that that don't have or didn't have street experience you know, they think that everything is, and it's not, you know, I'll call them back when I call them back, you know, that's uh, what I, I tell young, young agents say, you know, if you got any words of advice, yeah, don't be afraid to walk away from a deal. That, that's exactly right. And that's one of the, that's one of the points on, on, on my, my undercover schools is walk away. Mm-hmm. Nobody if expects th- a cop to walk away. They expect, Oh, you got to make the bus. You got to do this. <laughs> It's like, screw you. I don't need this crap. And then you walk away to go, oh, he must be for real. That's exactly right. And then, and then you get it for a better, a better price later on. See, you're negotiating. (laughs) You're saving the taxpayers money. Look at this chief. (laughs) Not only can I steal cars, I can negotiate better deals on swag. Yeah. Yeah, That was like, Morgan, we did that, that episode on my last undercover and, and I didn't do anything like you did, Joe. Mine were just very short term things, but it was for several hundred pounds of weed in North Carolina. You know, we popped the guy on the first deal. I had a North Carolina trooper pull him over before they got to me and up in Mount Airy, which is known as Mayberry from the TV yeah. show. And and I ran. I, I Like, you son of a bitch set me up, and I put the, you know, I put all the guilt on them, and I just hauled butt. Three months later, they're calling me. Hey, listen, uh, okay, we know, we know it wasn't you. Uh, can we get together and do another deal? Well, okay, yeah, I guess I got yeah, time for I you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and, you know, I, I used to walk away from conversations you know, before I, before I became really, uh, uh, accepted. Okay. Uh, I, I knew I should, I knew I should be in on this conversation as far as listening, but I get up and walk away. And then later on, I say, Donnie, where are you going? I say, Hey, this has nothing to do with me, man. So, you know, you're you're uh, continuing to establish credibility with these guys. Is that hey, look, doesn't involve me. I don't want to be a part of it. That's, that's, then they'll that's, end up telling you. That's what it is. You hey, know. Uh, before we get too far into the story, let me just book into real quick. I don't want to go to the end, but I want to give people a sense of what time frame we're talking about. So, from the time you accepted this assignment until the time it was finally over, your UC role was over. Give us a sense of how long of a period of time was that? We started the uh, the. The six-year operation was uh, the beginning of '75 and ended in uh, July 27th of '81. 
damn. Six now we're months talking, turned into six years. Yeah. We're talking deep cover here too. Yeah. So <laughs> what, how does, how do you prepare your family for something like this? Well, uh, <laughs> it's, it's tough. Uh, Luckily, when I say luckily, but, you know, I had been doing undercover work before, but, you know, normal undercover work is, is, uh, you know, there's several types of undercover work, right? Uh, there's light cover, which is, you know, you meet, you meet the bad guys, you deal with them during the day, during the night. And you go home. Uh, you normally go into your office. That's what most under. That's what most undercover is. Uh, deep undercover is what a lot of uh, a lot of people can't do, and a lot of people don't want to do, because once you leave your office, you never go back until the operation's over. You move out of your residence into your own apartment uh, and you very seldom do you get to your, you get back home. It's kind of like uh, being divorced in a sense, right? And, and having your parents or having your ex and your kids move to a completely different location. You see them very rarely. Yeah. Basically what it is, uh, you leave your gun and badge and your credentials in the office. The only thing you're out there with is your, your fake ID. That's the only thing you're out there with. Uh, the only contact with with your agency is with your contact agent and maybe your supervisor. That's your that's your that's your contact. Uh, my family was across lived across the country uh, when I went when I started the uh, the operation in New York. Uh, when you say across the country, we're talking uh, West Coast then. Yeah, yeah, they lived, they, you know, the operation started in New York and they, they were out west, yeah. Hey players, that is the end of part one. Part two, as always, comes out on Thursday. In the meantime, check us out at Game of Crimes on Twitter, at Game of Crimes Podcast on Facebook, at the Instagram. But where you got to be, where you got to be, where you got to be, got to be on Patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. We have a ton of good stuff, including if you are at the right level, Guardian of the Realm and Warden of the Throne, we have just released part one, episode one of the real DEA Narcos talking about the real DEA Narcos, Cali edition, Chris Feistel and Dave Mitchell go in-depth 16 hours about how they took down the Cali cartel. Information you will not hear anywhere else in the world, not on Netflix, not anywhere, not in a book, only right here on Game of Crimes at patreon.com slash Game of Crimes. In the meantime, also go check out our webpage, gameofcrimespodcast.com. We've got the latest merch, pictures for every episode that we put up, books that our guests write. We only put up books that they write. We put them up there. So we thank you once again for being a player in the biggest, baddest, most dangerous game of all, the Game of Crimes.